Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, if you have a Bible today, I want to invite you to the book of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue to um, work our way through uh, this profound teaching of Jesus that is known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew um, chapter 6. Um, we took a uh, kind of a, 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 it wasn't really a week off as much as it is uh, in light of the circumstances from last week. Um, we, we took some time to, to think differently, uh, but today we're going to pick back up as we journey through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew um, chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you, if you are a user of the Bible app, you can open up and find our live, uh, find our live event right now. You ever gone to the doctor and uh, they have prescribed something for you um, and you think, oh, this is the magic pill and it's going to work and it's going to work immediately, right? You think to yourself, yes, it's going to work. And even like the fastest working stuff takes some time to work. That's the frustrating part. They give you a prescription, you go fill it, and you take the pill, and then you're like, yeah, it's going to work. And then it takes a while for it to come around. Even the, like the Z-Pak, you know, antibiotic on steroid kind of thing, like that kind of stuff takes a little bit uh, to get going. So um, today I want to pick up a little bit and think about kind of that idea. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about having a congruency of life where our inner person matches our outer person, where the inward things uh, match the outer appearances. And um, we said that if Jesus would offer us a prescription, that prescription would look something like this figure, uh, this triangle uh, up there. there. There's three pieces to it. Uh, the word is where we are... Um, uh, uh, the, the foundation of it. So we preach the word. Uh, some of you just came from Bible study where you studied the word. Um, many of you will be in small groups this week where you will interact around the word. And I hope, I hope that all of you are spending time in the word um, every day for your own personal benefit. That's the foundation of it all. But there's two other things, the practices on the left side there and trials, practices, these things that we do in order, in order to engage uh, with, with specific uh, um, uh, rhythms, b- building in particular practices into our lives that will help shape us. That is really where the first 18 verses of chapter 6 takes us. And then the trials there where we uh, walk through certain things that are going on in our lives and we don't have to post everything on social media and complain about it. We just go through it because we know that God um, is in control, that he cares for us, and that he's using these kinds of things to shape us. So we're really going to spend most of our time over the next uh, probably three or four weeks working on uh, the practices side of this, of this triangle, okay? And so uh, in light of that, I want to start in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, and then we'll work our way forward through verses two, and, uh, 2 through 4. Beware of practicing or doing uh, your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in the heavens. And here's what I want to do. I just want to set up today with three particular questions before we jump into the rest of the text. I want to set up today uh, with uh, th- this question first. Um, how do these practices work? So if the prescription is um, to build your life on the word and to build practices into your life and then to walk through trials, um, realizing that God's at work, how do the practices, the things that we can engage, how do those things work? Here's, here's number one. Um, what, what we can do, doing what we can do, readies us for what we can't do. Doing what we can do readies us for what we can't do. Now, we know this in other portions and parts of our lives. Uh, do we have any runners in the room? I mean, legit runners. Yeah. 
Who's brave enough? One, one back. Oh, yes, 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 yes. There's one back there. Uh, uh, long distance. Oh, uh, there's one over there. Yes, I see that hand. Um, <clears throat> I want to first applaud you. I hate running. Who's with me on that? Yes, yes, yes. I would just as soon stand and fight and possibly die. You know what I mean? And that's kind of my world. But, but um, I have friends who run and I have uh, uh, others who like do marathons, which is it, yes, it is. It is crazy. I pray for them often. Um, but uh, I have uh, friends who do marathons and, um, you know, they go through these training regimens. They go through and they run X number of uh, miles or time uh, on day, this day. And then they have to uh, do a cool down run. And then the next day they push a little bit further, but then they back off and only run so and so. And, you know, even, even, I mean, at no point during the training time, do they go to 26.2, you know, the highest they get is kind of high teens. Oh, it was a long day today, that kind of thing. They're practicing readying themselves to do what they cannot do yet. They're, they're working out, practicing to ready themselves to do what they cannot do yet. This is spiritually how the practices, these spiritual disciplines work. We do things that we can do right now in order to... Um, ready us for what we can't do yet. Secondly, the practices that we have, they shape us. They shape us for good or ill. Um, if, if I want to be a marathoner, yet I am addicted to tacos, that may be a bad niche, you know what I'm saying? And if, if I am addicted to tacos, it will shape me. Yes, who's with me? It will shape me. If I'm a runner, though, and you, again, you, you've seen people, you think, oh, yeah, she's a runner, he's a runner, or uh, they're, they're an athlete of some I mean, you see, because they have a particular shape. This is just the reality. So physically, also spiritually. Our practices shape us for good or bad. And we need both. We need both reason um, and rhythm. So here we go. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. That, that's the motivation. That's the reason there. And if we, if we practice um, uh, these, these uh, disciplines so that other people see us, we're going to rob ourselves uh, of the benefit. Um, we don't practice for others. Uh, th- this would be like the runner who takes off, lets everybody else get past, and then cuts the corner. You know, they don't do the full loop. Cuts the corner, comes back in. It's like, yes, I completed. Give me the T-shirt. No, you didn't. You, you didn't. You, you just did that to get the T-shirt. Just go to the shop and buy the T-shirt next time. Go to eBay, buy the T-shirt. But don't pretend otherwise. We, we, we do. The reason, the motivation is we know that there is benefit. That's what he said at the end of verse 1. There is, we got rewards on the line. And there is, there is reward for practicing these things. But also rhythm. There's a rhythm that we do this. There is a consistency in the content of our practices. And it's that consistency. That's what shapes us. There may be slight variations from time to time. If any of you work out, you know, basically there's two, two basic moves. You either push or you pull and you use different muscle groups and there can be different ways that you uh, do this, but different variations, but basically it all boils boils down to a push or a pull and the variations thereof. So uh, these, this consistent rhythm and the consistent content that's what shapes us. So what I want to, before we step into the second um, question, what, what I want to point out is, is the second word in my particular Bible. It's the second word of verse two. Thus, when, do you see when there in your scripture, when? 
Jesus assumes. He assumes that we're going to practice these kinds of things. In particular, there's three practices that Jesus outlays in chapter 6. There's giving and practicing generosity. That's today. Uh, there's prayer and there's fasting. Because Jesus assumes, that we, Jesus assumes that we will do this. Why? Because he assumes that we will have struggle with materialism and with self-reliance and with appetites that get out of control. Applicable to anybody? Does it sound like suburbia? Generosity, practicing generosity helps us with materialism and greed. Practicing prayer helps us with our self-reliance. And practicing fasting helps us with our appetites that have a tendency at times uh, to control us. He just assumes that we're going to practice these things because he assumes that uh, we need his help. All, all, all throughout chapter 5, Jesus has been painting a picture of our lives. When the kingdom comes in our lives and the genuine goodness of God goes to work in our lives, there are some things that can happen. Anger doesn't have to be the controlling thing in our life. Um, uh, the desires that we have that sometimes get out of whack or get misshapen um, or, or direct um, us instead of us directing them, they don't have to be the gravitational center. And that works its way out in things like marriage and how we speak to one another and how we uh, can be generous um, in, in goodwill towards others and how we even uh, can do that with those who oppose us. That, that's chapter five. And so now Jesus Jesus comes along and says, if that's who you want to be, then here are some things that you need to do. Here are some things you need to do. So the question then is, how, how then does practicing generosity, how does giving break greed? And here I want to read verses 2 down to 4 with you here. Thus, when, there's our important word, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. That they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you, uh, your giving may be in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So today we're going to talk about practicing generosity. Now, if you are new here and you think, oh gosh, I came to church on the day they talk about money. Or if you're watching and you just feel the tension, I, I just want to go ahead and embrace that. If everybody would just go ahead and squeeze your shoulders up and do the thing where you suck the air through your teeth. Okay, let it out. Okay, now we're going to talk about it. Now that we got that out of the way. How, how does giving break greed? I'll give you four statements. Hold on to these things. Number one, it reminds me that God owns it all and I don't. If you need scripture, Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, or if a more modern transition, and uh, all it contains, all of it. The earth is the Lord's, not yours, not mine, all of it. Our role is then managers. We've been entrusted with some things, and so we get to manage the things that we have been entrusted with. The old word is stewardship. We get to be servers, if you will, of what God has entrusted us with. Secondly, uh, giving breaks greed by teaching us that I don't need it like I thought I needed it in order to live. If I practice generosity with my time, with my talent, and with my treasures, yes, all three of those things. It's not more than, uh, excuse me, it's not less than money, but it is more. Our time, our talents, if I practice generosity, then what I figure out is I don't need it to live like I thought I did. In other words, I can build margin into my life. I, I can build some things into my life. 
that I, I thought I had to have. No, 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 I don't have to have those things. Thirdly, um, it satisfies, and, and let's, before we run away, let, let me just pause here before we run away from that second one. Um, this is not purging. Anybody go through spring cleaning and you're just like, let's clean this junk out. And you just, you take the whole shelf, right? This is not that. This is investing. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about practicing generosity, we're not just talking about cleaning some stuff out. We're talking about investing. Thirdly, um, we figure out that as we do these things, as we practice generosity, there is a satisfaction that comes to us through in this kind of generous goodwill. Jesus said it this way, and we figure out, as we practice generosity, Jesus said that, um, that, that, excuse me, we figure out that Jesus was right when he said, it is better to give than it is to receive. As we practice generosity, we figure out, oh, Jesus was right about this. And he's been right about a lot of other things too. Um, He's already pointed at this. if you've got one who's going to take you one mile, make sure and go with him too. If one sues you and you can give a cloak also, just go, go ahead. That's okay. It'll be all right. When we sow the genuine goodness of God, righteousness in our lives, we reap love in one of the ways that that expresses itself in our generosity. And lastly, it, it, it transforms me and impacts others. It transforms me and impacts others. And when we see the transformation coming in our own lives and when we see the impact on others' lives, we go, gosh, I want to do that again. Gosh, I want more of that, not less. That's how giving breaks greed. It's how, it is how the practice of generosity deals with our materialism. So let's jump in specifically here. How do I practice this? If this is good for me, and if, if uh, I, I want to uh, put materialism down in my life, and I want to um, up the level of generosity, how do I go about practicing this? Uh, three things here, and I'll just point them out as we walk back through the text. Verse 2. Thus, when, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they'll receive the reward. They've received it. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. That's the first one, that we give. How do we practice this? We do so in secret. Um, Jesus said there was a group of people who would be happy to sound a trumpet as they gave. Did anybody, I just questioned, did anybody bring one? Gonna, offering box right back there. You just walk back there. No. My, my guess is, is that that's probably the case. And we can talk about maybe modern expressions of that too. Back in his day, uh, there was a metal box that you put your offering in. And uh, if you put metal coins in a metal box, you know what you get? A lot of noise. And and, uh, the more you put in, the more noise it was made. That's the kind of idea that Jesus is talking about here. And even if I'm only given five bucks here, I'm going to give $5 in pennies, right? So that it looks like, it looks like I'm giving a ton. Jesus says there is, he he uses a word here in verse two. Don't do it because this is what the hypocrites do. Jesus imports that word from the theater. He's the first teacher to do this, to bring it out of theater language. A hypocrite means a a person who wears a mask, not like a mask like you and I have come, but like an actor. He brings it out of that world and into the moral sphere. And he says, Um, These are hypocrites. Hypocrites do it for the attention. And when they do so, they devalue both the gift and the recipient. Jesus comes along uh, later um, in 
uh, oh, the Gospels, and he sees a, a, um, a widow bringing her two kind of half pennies, two mites. And she drops it in that box, and it didn't make much noise, folks. But Jesus made noise. He said, clear the space here. What has just happened is the holiest of things. People, people give out of their abundance, and it doesn't cost them anything. This lady, she's given all she has to live on. And this is holy right here. You, you do so. You do so in secret. You don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You, you, you're not worried about who's watching. You're not worried about who's going to see you. Um, it doesn't have to be the kind of classic expression of this modern-wise uh, in, in our modern day is uh, putting your name on the building. I'm giving some money so that you can put my name on a building. It doesn't have to be that. It can be a lot deeper than that. It can be with an eye toward, gee, I wonder who watches. I wonder who knows. I wonder who, you know, may, maybe looks at me and goes, oh, yeah, I see them. I see them. To do so like that, uh, to, to do so like that um, robs us of the practice's full benefit. If, if we have an eye on somebody else watching us, and we're not doing this in secret, meaning we're going to do it no matter what. If somebody sees us, okay, but the truth is we're going to do it no matter what. It, it's, if we're always looking to see who's watching, then it robs us of the full benefit. And, and furthermore, um, what, what happens here is that we get what we want. That's what he says at the end of verse two. Uh, at the end of verse two, truly, I say that they have received their reward. They wanted the praise of men, and that's all they got—a bloated ego and a shriveled soul. That's what they got. So when we practice this, we practice it in secret. Secondly, uh, we practice this in context, in context. He, he lists two in particular. We'll look at them in just a second. But before we do, I just want to make note here, and I want to um, be aware that there are some things that are true. Some of us um, grew up in houses where we saw, uh, grew up in families where we saw parents give on the regular. Fantastic. If you had that kind of training, amazing. And you should call up your folks and say, thank you so much for helping me with that. Um, some of you though, didn't grow up in that, or you never saw it. It was never. So some of us have to overcome bad training. Maybe it was bad training of example. Maybe it was bad training by theology. Some of us may have grown up in different, um, uh, um, kind of teachings where, Hey, if, if I give some money, God's going to bless me and, uh, everything will always turn out. All right. It's sometimes called the gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity. And let me just tell you, it's bunk. I mean, it is terrible. It is destructive. It's not the good news of Jesus. And anybody who tells you otherwise is a liar. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Some of us have to overcome bad training. Some of us have to overcome trust issues because you may have grown up in a place or have seen a time when somebody absconded uh, uh, or stole or embezzled or any number of other uh, verbs that we could put there with uh, people's hard-earned money that they've given. They've misused it. Uh, they spent it on themselves any other number of ways. Like, uh, you know, the staff uh, retreat to Tahiti. It hasn't happened here. I just want you to know it's not going to either. Uh, but like if you get into that kind of thing, you're like, oh man, I've got serious trust issues with how people use money. And if that's you, I just want to invite you um, to look at the level of transparency with us. We can talk more about that later, but I just, if you've got questions, man, ask them. Uh, some, some of you have to overcome bad training. Some of you have to overcome trust issues. Some of you have to overcome just stuff that's in your heart. 
greed, materialism, any number of other things. You just want what you want. You may have to overcome that. But all of that, folks, is overcome through discipline. It's overcome through practicing this, this regular rhythm of giving, of being generous. And furthermore, if you're not generous with what you have now, folks, you, you won't be generous with what you wish you had. That's the truth. So, so we practice this in context. Here are the two contexts. It, it's, excuse me, it's right there in verse 2. So when you give, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. And then he lists two contexts. In the synagogues and in the streets. I want to take those in reverse order. Let's talk about the streets. The, um, this is generosity, if you will, that is compa- uh, compelled by the Spirit. You're walking along and you see... Um, a particular need, whatever it may be, and you step in to meet that need through your generosity of your time, of your talents, of your treasure. And you think to yourself, hey, where's discipline in that? And the answer is, if you haven't disciplined yourself beforehand to set some time or some talent or some treasure aside, you will not be able to step in and meet that need right there. If I don't have some money set aside, or if I haven't disciplined myself fiscally um, to manage my money better, I won't have extra to help somebody else. If I am programmed every minute of the day, I may go right by somebody who's in desperate need. Because of my sense of hurry, I may bypass somebody who needs my help. I have no margin. I haven't built any into my life. That's where the discipline is. Second question uh, people sometimes ask is, well, wh- what, if, what if they misuse it in some way? What if they don't do things that honor God? Or what if they don't, what if, what if it doesn't go like I think it should? What, what if they misuse it? I'll tell you two things. Number one, you can always find a way to help if you're commanded to help. You can always do that. To genuinely help somebody, you can always find a way. Second thing I'd say, uh, if that does indeed happen, you would know a little bit how God feels. I don't know about you, there are times when I am prone to misuse what God has entrusted me with. In the streets, um, testimony time for me, our family, um, we love the cause um, and the practice of adoption. Uh, it's just a big part of who we are as a family, a big part of our story. And so um, when we think about the streets, when we think about giving in context like that, those are the kinds of things that really light our fire. So we buy T-shirts. We've got adoption T-shirts, um, a number of adoption T-shirts um, where we, you know, they use it as a fundraiser. And we're so happy to jump in on that. Just adoption causes for you. It may be something really, really different, whatever it may be. We practice this. This is the context that we practice uh, in the streets. When we see a particular need, we can step in and meet it. If we've disciplined ourselves, if we regularly create margin in our lives to do, to do this with our treasures, sure, but also with our time um, and with, with our talent. The, the other place that he mentions it in particular, uh, the second context is streets and synagogues. Synagogues. If the streets are where generosity is compelled by the Spirit to meet a particular need in the moment, um, the synagogues would be uh, uh, generosity towards your local gathering. In our particular context, we would call this generosity towards us uh, as a church family. If you're not familiar with this, I want to just set a couple of things bef- uh, before you here. Um, 
Uh, if you grew up around this teaching, that's perfectly fine too. It'll be a good reminder. But the Bible talks about two ways to be generous um, in, in the local gathering. Uh, one is through tithes and the other is through offerings. Tithes and offerings. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Tithes, 10% of your earned income given to uh, the local gathering as an expression to say, God, here, this is yours. It's all yours and you only ask for 10% back. I want to be a good steward of that. And some of you hear 10%, you're like, there ain't no way. We'll talk about that in just a second. So offerings, though. Offerings are um, other things that we can bring to the table. Offerings. So how, how do we bring our time, talent, and treasures uh, to the table um, to make an impact? There's this discipline. There's this practice of giving. Uh, and, and I will say um, that when you do so, in the local gathering, you're funding ministry with your time and your talents and your treasures. Some of you are giving money, and that's the easiest thing to do. You need to bring your time to the Lord. Why? Because there's kids ministry that has to happen and there's student ministry that has to happen. And you can step into those roles, into those places and give of yourself, of your time and your talents, not just writing a check, but giving of that. Um, your funding ministry, when we give, Kids ministry happens. Students go to camp, as we talked about a while ago. Uh, adults are able to gather in places. We pay light bills. Yes, it's true. I mean, we pay. There are hard costs that it takes to run this. Yes, all of that's true. All of that's true. But we give to missions. Just as a church family, we give well over 10% to mission efforts around the world. We give to these things because we want to see the kingdom of God come. And so to 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 be generous, to practice generosity in this local gathering context that, that funds ministry. This looks very different for groups. And I just, again, I want to be pastorally um, sensitive and aware here for some of you younger families who are in the room right now. Um, when you hear tithes and offerings, 10%, you're like, ain't no way. But listen, it's a good standard to begin to work toward. If you think to yourself, there's nothing, no, oh, oh. It, it may take you a little while to get there because you need to dig out of some things, other choices that you made. But man, it would be a worthwhile effort for you to practice generosity in a way that gets you there. I talked to somebody this week who, when this became a reality for them, they went from one week giving about 1% to the next week giving about 10%. And he says, quite a shock to the system. <laughs> I would guess so. Some of you, it may take a little longer to get there. But for younger families, I just want to say to you, man, what a tremendous legacy to pass on to your kids, to let your kids see you practicing generosity. For some of you older folks, a few more miles on your tires, you, you think, I've kind of done my part. No, 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 no. What you give is an investment in the generations to come. You need to see it as an investment. What if your legacy was passing down ministry um, and, and the capacity to do ministry so that people can follow along on the path that you've already walked. Streets and synagogues. And thirdly, we do this in cooperation. So uh, he talks about you, singular, there in, in the first part of the, those, that passage. And then he switches it to you, plural. Y'all. So, so we do this in cooperation with one another. The things that I give to the church, the monies that I give to the church, it can only go so far. 
But when you give and you give and you give and you give, all of a sudden we got some resources together. We can do some stuff in cooperation. And so I, I just, um, I, I've been, I, this is ridiculous, I know. I have been giddy about this section of the sermon all week long. Ask Tyler, I had him pull some data, and it's just been bouncing around in my brain all week long. So I, I just, I'm excited to share what I'm about to share with you. In cooperation, we as a church family, I just want to walk through uh, some stats uh, together with you. God's standard is 10%, yeah? Tithe. That's how we're 10% of your earned income given to the local church. Uh, before we flash it on the screen, the average American Christian family, this data is a couple years old, but the average American Christian family, what's, what's the percentage that they give to uh, their church or religious causes? Anybody? Guesses? 2%, 5%, 1? Do I hear three? Six. Uh, three. Thank you. Okay. Here's, again, the data is a couple years old, but 2.4%. 2.4%. And you think to yourself, well, you know, it's been a pretty rough go here over the past little bit. I mean, we've got some economic challenges and ups and downs and this and that and all that kind of stuff. And it's been pretty rough. I, as, just as a historical data point, in the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. So... Maybe the average... Christian family in America needs to work that process to practice generosity in, in cooperate. I mean, that's kind of broad strokes though. And you know, that doesn't really say anything about us as a church family. So in cooperation, the, the um, average American Christian family uh, gives, again, the data's uh, a couple years old, but gives about $2,200 annually to their church and other religious causes, 2,200 bucks. Um, this is the part where I'm just like, Ooh, the average, uh, heritage park church family last year in 2020 gave 4,200 bucks. Isn't that amazing? I just think that's stunning that this is the case. What an incredible thing uh, that, that this is, this is our reality. And what I want to say to you is good job. Like stay at it in the midst of a pandemic and all the craziness that was 2020. We still on average gave $4,200 a year. And what if, listen, we've got Depending upon who's counting and how, somewhere between 250 and 275 or so giving units. Well, what if each one committed to try to give a little bit more? What if it were $1,000 extra per giving unit? Some of you are like, I can't give $1,000. No way. Okay, that's fine. Some of you, though, could give another $1,000. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. What could we do with an extra quarter of a million dollars in ministry around here? What kind of missions could we fund? What kind of efforts could we do? What, what kind of kids could we take care of in foster care? What kind of adoption things could we put together? What kind of spaces could we create around here to um, have greater impact in ministry? Just think about that. This is why we practice generosity. Uh, this is a little bit more historical, but again, it's for me, it's just something to celebrate. I'm just stoked about this. Um, in 2018, our budget uh, was $935,000. Uh, we gave $986,000 on a $935,000 budget. And that's in 2018. That was after 2017. Anybody have, do you remember what happened in 2017? You remember? Oh yeah, a little storm blew through. That's exactly, we had a rain event. Um, in 2017, we hit the budget on the number, like within 200 bucks 
of, we were two, we gave $200 more than our budget, um, 223 or something, some crazy number like that. So, so we budget in Harvey, we outgave it in, in 2018, $50,000 in 2019. Check this out. We gave 1.19 on a 1.03 budget. Are you kidding me? And we got to do some amazing things in ministry as a result of that. And here's the part that I'm most excited about. Look at 2020. We gave 1.07 on a $1.16 million budget. And you think to yourself, uh, why are you so excited about that? Because did anybody have a crazy 2020? Anybody have reduced hours, reduced wages, got furloughed, any number of other things? I mean, think about all that we endured. And still, you crazy people still gave $1.07 million unbelievable to me stunning we continue to practice generosity because i mean this is a great part 1.07 was about what we spent including some major big ticket items like technology and stuff to get live stream up i mean like we spent some money this year on some really really important things and and we still basically came out even so good this is why we practice generosity the, the transformation comes to me. When I do it, the transformation comes to me and, and I see the world being transformed through it. We see kids come to know Christ. We see teenagers find their identity in him. We see, we see adults find a place not only to belong, but a, to, be, uh, to have a purposeful role in his church family. We see these things. We see realities. Not just hopes, we see realities. So three questions as we wrap up here, specifically for us, for you. Number one, do do you give with an eye toward God? Probably that means, is it a priority for you? Is it a priority for you? Do we get to the end of the month and we got some money left over, we'll give it. No, no, no. Flip that. We give at the front of the month so that we can get through the rest of the month. Do you give with an eye toward God? That's an important question. Secondly, do you give regularly? Do you give regularly? Some of you give uh, every week, some of twice a month when paychecks come in, some of you monthly, some of you quarterly, whatever. But is there a regular pattern of giving in your life? Do you practice generosity with your time, with your talent, and yes, with your treasure? And lastly, does your giving, does it feel like sacrifice? Because if it feels like sacrifice, that's when the impact, the transformational impact of this practice will be yours. That's when greed and materialism will begin to break off of you. That's when the joy of giving uh, will be birthed in you. Do you give and does it feel like sacrifice? Those three questions for you to ponder. Jesus knows some things, folks. And he knows that there are good ways to get these things addressed. He knows that people in our world will struggle with certain things. And so he gives us these practices to help us work through this. And as we practice generosity, we see the kingdom come in our lives. And we see the kingdom come in the lives of people that we get to uh, be generous toward. Let me pray for us. We'll sing this song about this incredibly good God. Join me in prayer first. Um, Father, thank you for an opportunity to be here and to hear your word.
Um, I know, God, that there are people around the room right now who hear this and they're like, oh, no, 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 not this. I know that there are others who felt the challenge and they're like, yeah, I really need to step into this. There are others who are celebrating and said, I can testify that that is true, no matter what it is, no matter what it is. Father, I pray that you would use your word to draw people closer to you. Some people need to step into regular things. Some people need to um, move toward a, a different goal. Whatever it is, God, would you draw them? You've been so good to us. We want to we be good managers of what you've entrusted us with. So let that be, God. Let it be. And Holy Spirit, put your finger wherever it needs to be put on our lives in order for that to be, in order for us to um, experience what you have for us and experience the things that we've talked about today. Thank you for being good to us. We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.